Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Demartini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome. It's so great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on. You know, this is one of these shows, and many of you know this because you've been asking for me to bring it back. And what I'm talking about is my Power Up show. The show is called Power Up with Dr. Pat, and it presents conversations, opens up a door, creates a forum for conversations that come from the heart and beyond. And this is one of these shows. It's it's one of these shows because it's built upon Dr. Crystal Lee Crane's own show, my very special guest today. And when you are tapping into the energy of conversations, when you're not afraid to pull the veil back, when you're able to really explore the tough conversations, the not so tough conversations, but also the conversations you have with yourself, what are you believing in? What are you looking at? What are you willing to stand for? What are you willing not to stand for? See, they're all part of the maze. They're all part of the conversation. But if you're not thinking of any of that right now, and you're just in a place where you're wondering why it is so hard to get a bill about the climate on the table for anybody to pay attention to, and yet you're living on the East Coast and you're asking yourself, why is my air conditioner not working? Whatever that might be that might be going on with you, or if you're like my relatives down in South America and they're watching the Amazon being hacked away, or if you're sitting here today and you are thinking about, as Dr. Crystal Lee Crane does, a public health scholar, human rights activist, if you're thinking about what we learn, and she has so much depth in her academic roots in sociology and political science and psychology, if you are somebody like that, you cannot not pay attention to what's happening in the world. That's what today's show is about. It's looking at the layers and the layers of institutional inequality. Hello, I can't even say that word. So I could say it like a hundred times and still not drive the importance of that home. But this is really a, a need and a purpose because I'm going to say it again, Benny, everybody listening, I've mentioned it a bunch of times. All you ladies out there listening to this show, I don't care what religion you are. I don't care what the color of your skin is. I don't care like whether you are disabled or not. This All of you listen to me really clearly. Less than a year ago, there was a bill in our Senate in the United States of America that would have given women equal pay. How many of you raise your hand know that there was even that bill there? How many of you know that it did not pass? And how many of you know that the reason it did not pass is because most of the male senators in the objection said it would cause frivolous lawsuits. Now, let me just tell you something. There's nothing frivolous about not getting paid an equal wage. Whew. Dr. Crystal Lee, welcome to the show. So much. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm raising my hand. I knew, I know we didn't it, and I know why. <laughs> Jessica's like, are you going to bring that thing up again? I am going to bring it up again because there is nowhere in sight, not even in a, in a, in a breath away, there is nobody even thinking of bringing that bill to the floor again. 
hello, what? What do you mean? I mean, looking at equal pay, the, the way that they, you know, kind of comply to to corporate interests in that sense, where they're like, well, we don't want to be held accountable for changing this gender pay dynamic, right? Let's have them do it on their own. It's the same way that they, they're breaking down the row Let's have the states decide. Let's have the corporations decide what they want to pay people, right? Let's have the states decide what access people have to controlling their bodies. The thing Look, this is why you and I are talking today. This is the question, and I love this question. What gives you hope right now? And you are someone like me, um, although I'm a little bit older than you, not much, I must say. <laughs> but, but we understand we understand what it's like not to have rights. I understand what it's like for me in my community, what it was like not to have right and to walk down the street and be beaten close to an inch of your life. I understand what it's like for a person of color to walk down the streets and be beaten and, 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 and killed. I know what it's like for that, although I don't have that personal experience, although I know I have been beaten because of you know the way I live my lifestyle. But I will tell you this, beyond all of that, beyond what we experience, up until a little short time ago, I'd say, I am not sure I had the hope energy going on. Mm. But today's show, today's show is about that. Um, I want to ask you this question, and I know this is a broken record, but I think it's important for people to hear your perspective on why activism is important and why it's important now. So for me, um, as I was saying to a group um, that I work with out in Oregon, you know, activism was my first love. Um, it's because activism was what allowed me to see myself and my experiences through a lens that, that didn't problematize me and make me wrong, right? And so I came into activism and learning about social justice, which to me means learning about how our lives are impacted by the system and then how we need to be able to change it, right, in our own best self-interest and our own collective best self-interest. And so growing up in Flint, Michigan, I saw people suffering in ways that were unnecessary. Um, later in life, I found Buddhism and have, we can talk about suffering and all those things. <laughs> but it gave me a, a perspective that um, or language around what Buddhism did for me is gave, gave me some language around what I understood about suffering from childhood was that it's, it's a necessary evil, right? It's going to be there and it's impermanent. And things will change. It may not be the change that you need it to be, but you are also in somewhat of control of what that change looks like. And be, and for some reason, this was in my head and heart, right? I had powerful women in my family who taught me how to stand up for myself and how to speak and how to, you know, not be afraid of who I was. And I think that had something to do with it. But I also had amazing teachers and mentors. Uh, That's probably why I still love teaching. And I really was able to not just focus on one issue, yeah, right? Which we, I know we'll talk about different issues, but to focus on the question of alleviating suffering. Yeah. That is my activism. That's my work. That is it. That's what I love talking about because, you know, it's really interesting when I think about this. I was thinking about the show today and speaking with you and I had to reflect a little bit on how I got to be the way I am for a minute and how I was influenced in that. Because if you just look at me on paper, you're looking at a white woman and you're thinking like, oh my God, like where does she even get the right to talk about anything? And I'll tell you, I had to go back. And what I loved is I grew up in the projects. Okay, so what does that even mean to anybody? What is it, what is it does anybody know what it, what it means to grow up in the projects in New York City? And so it took me a really long time to realize that I wasn't like the other people that were a different color. 
I did really because we that's not the way we roll right I had to learn a little Spanish I had to learn a little of this we shared each other's foods we shared each other's lunchbox we didn't say you're this you're that it was really fascinating for me and you know as I grew up my dad remarried a very beautiful very white woman from the south honestly first child at 12 second child at 13 and I thought back I learned more from that woman about how to understand the prejudice in your own system and then what to do about it. This is a woman that came from a place in a very small town where everybody lived together. When you had your Sunday down, and I went to this Baptist church once, that scared the life out of me, but, I, but we went. Everybody knew everybody. No one looked at you sit over there and you sit over here. This is the woman that helped shape myself and my sisters. But yet, I still can't understand what it's like to be a person that is afraid to walk out of their house, to walk down the street, to drive a car in a community, because I have privilege, you see. But today, it doesn't matter if you have privilege or you don't have privilege, you need to do something about what's happening. And isn't that what today shows about Dr. Crystal Lee? I think that's what today shows about, but I think that's what every day is about. Yep. You know? I've been teaching for 16 years now and I, you know, I started teaching with the, the clear directive that the only way that I would take a contract to teach is if I could organize my students, because I'm like, well, what's mm. the, <laughs> if teaching the sciences, if we're not including the community component, right. And back then, you know, they called it service learning, but you know, there is always this, this community element in, in, in how I'm thinking about things. And I always try to tell my students and even folks that I'm working with, at an individual group level, really help them say, okay, what part of your life and, and your understanding of reality is based on the system around you? Let's unpack all that. Because then once you realize that there's unnecessary suffering in your life that were based on decisions that other people made that have no clue about the, the realities or the circumstances that they're causing by the swipe of that pen or a no vote or a yes vote, then you'll see where maybe your, your, your place is, right? In the struggle, because everyone's place is different. And sometimes when folks... I think, think about activism. They think it's just about marching and it's not safe for me to go to protest anymore. So I haven't been to a protest in six years. That doesn't make me not an activist. Mm -hmm. yeah. There is a, a breadth and range of strategies, right? To use. And, and I think the first one is being healthy. So me taking care of myself and thriving is resistance, right? And not buying myself nice clothes. No, I'm talking about sleeping. I'm talking about eating well. I'm talking about saying nice things to myself and not repeating the internalized racism and sexism messages from the world to myself when I need to motivate myself because those things aren't going to work. Hustle culture doesn't work for me. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you know, what I did when I was in my 20s, 30s, 40s, when I did then, and I was out every weekend for a protest, every weekend, because I lived on the East Coast. I lived in New, New York. You know, I could go knock on Bella Abzik's door and say, when are we marching again? Hello, right? I mean, that was the environment then, because we knew we didn't have the rights to do dot, 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 you fill in the blank. And, we, and you know, when we got together, we didn't say to each other, oh, you can't be part of this, although a lot of work had to be done, especially amongst women. I will say this. This was a struggle, people, 
for women to come together. You may call us feminist or whatever you want to call us, but I will tell you, we had to face ourselves. When Gloria Steinem stood up, when the NOW organization did not want to have lesbians in it, and she said, we're all lesbians, let me tell you, that was an act of courage. And I want to ask you today, because acts of courage look differently. Not every one of us is going to go back out with the sign. But it doesn't mean that we don't have and shouldn't have a personal and political preference or agenda or something in the world that helps define us, does it? No, I, I don't think that we should limit ourselves, right? Even in the smallest ways. So I'm not a parent, but I'm a super auntie. And I think about yeah. this community that I live in. And there was a, um, a horrible tragedy. A family was killed recently. And I'm like, hmm. I don't know this family. I'm not involved in the schools, but you know, maybe I should reach out to the middle school principal yeah. and maybe offer mental health first aid training for their teachers, knowing that, you know, all these students are going to come back to not and not have this classmate, right? Yeah. That's activism. Right? Like that's just one, like that's just one thought I have that I'm going to be doing before school starts, you know, to help in this small community that I'm in. And then another piece, right? Talking about brave actions. These people could tell me no, but at least I know then like I tried, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you know, I was just in the Philippines in May (laughs) uh, for my volunteer work, my human rights work, uh, doing international observation of the election for um, the Philippines national election where Duterte and Marcos uh, children were elected to be president and vice president. And so that's a risk. Um, that's something that is in my wheelhouse, but I don't take all those risks all the time. Right. It's safer for me to do some things out of the country than it is for me to do in this country. <laughs> um, there's different consequences and I can blend in in other places where if I go to a protest, um, if there's white supremacist groups, that I've had issues with in the past that are there or present, it just becomes me then being the focal point, right? And that's just not good leadership, right? So I do other things. I'll bring supplies. I'll drive people. I'll do other things, right? Rather than making me the center. Yeah, totally with you on that. But you know, it's all about really what we are willing to stand up and say yes to in our lives. And you're right. If we are not taking care of ourselves, self-care is so important. I'm just going to say that to everybody out there, because even, even if you have the journeys that we are describing for ourselves here today, the one thing I will tell you is you have to be solid within yourself. You have to make sure that you're, you are in the best shape you can be because this is not just about going out with the sign. This is emotional. This is beyond emotional. This taps into the very fabric of what's violated in our lives. I want to jump to the, some of the headlines right now, because you and I had a conversation before we came on and I said, thank you. Who, it's, when this happened, I was like, thank you, whoever you are for leaking the Roe v. Wade decision. I don't even know who that was. I think they tried to pin it on a couple of people, but I said thank you to it. Um, I said thank you to Liz Cheney and the group of people. And why Liz? You know, somebody, somebody sent me an email and said, why do you keep talking about Liz? She's not the only one. No, she's not. But I'll, I will tell you, we would not be having a conversation about those hearings if it wasn't for Liz Cheney going against every aspect being literally crucified in her own party trying to be censored restricted probably i think she's down in the polls by 30 points in her own state 
replacing that being reelected um, for to save democracy, essentially, yeah. right? And she's the only female Republican doing so. Yeah. And I think that's important. And the the lashing that female politicians or any woman that speaks in public that goes against the status quo gets lashing, and we we're seeing that, right? Um, so yeah, definitely still talk about Liz Cheney and what she's doing around the January 6th hearings and what they're all doing, because a big piece of that for me, as I prepare for the fall semester and looking at, okay, how am I going to break this down for students? How am I going to break yeah. this down for people, my clients that are, my coaching clients who are in DC who are afraid, want to move before the, the next presidential election, right? There's people who are like, I, do I want to be in the country when the election happens? Because they're afraid of what's going to happen, the backlash from the hearings and the truth that's being told and potential backlash for nothing happening, no actual criminal prosecution, yeah. no actual accountability. And I think that's, that's really important to, to think about as well. Let's get to that point, because I think that most people will feel a little bit more comfort if there were action being taken. You see, there's one thing we've, we've learned in life, I think, and that is actions and consequences, actions and outcomes. We've learned it. We learned it from a very young age. We learn this as children. And when we see what we're seeing now, and we're seeing actions being highlighted, and there is inaction that is happening to do anything about it, you have to really scratch your head. Because I will tell you, I watched my table tennis coach and myself get pulled over in a car, and me opening my big mouth, and we got taken to the jail in Pennsylvania, right? because he was from Ghana, Africa, and I was a white woman in a car alone with this man who was my coach. And I watched that. Now, he did have some political context, so we did get out. But honestly, if he didn't, that would be a situation. And I think to myself, what is holding everybody up here? Okay, what is holding everybody up? But here's what I want to ask you about. See, I think this is orchestrated by the universe. Okay, so I'm gonna go a little I'm going to go a little woo-woo on you because I think that it took the leak of Roe v. Wade. Then I think it took Roe v. Wade. Then I think it took this hearings. I don't know. Then I think it took ridiculous amount of gun violence to wake people up. I don't know. What do you think? I think that people want change when they are, when they have no option, but to see themselves when there's no way out from seeing the consequence of lack of action or the consequence of apathy um, and, and, and potentially even the consequence of being someone who voted for someone who's doing these things right now, right? Who's actually perpetuating the harm. Um, I really feel like a big piece of what holds people back is their inability. And I think about not in just the hearings, right? Like what we're going to do with it. And yes, the row piece, but I remember looking and watching the news when January 6th happened. And I was in a Zoom meeting and I had like my TV right here and I was in the Zoom meeting with a friend and I was like, do you see what's going on right now? I'm like, uh, I was like, let me just call you back. And I, and I, I was in Philadelphia at the time and just even being a couple hours away, I was scared yeah I, I was like oh, okay um that's a little too close I'm hours away right and then the other piece is I think the only way that 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 it was even able to go as far as it was is because somewhere in this country the lie of white supremacy makes folks not take white violence seriously yeah. and don't take the the organization of these white separatist groups seriously and they got 
the consequence of that with January 6th. Mm-hmm. And it was used against themselves, right? To, to actually protect the Capitol. But then in the other piece of it, we're looking at all of these hearings. If there's no criminal prosecution, you're going like, well, why, why are we working on semantics? Yeah. The intention of a crime when people died. And we have people in jail for right now for less than an ounce of weed. Exactly. In prison. And this person incited a riot and people died and he's trying to destroy our democracy. I am at a loss about that, but it does to me root in white supremacy and our inability to have full sight in this country. Yeah, I'm totally with you. I don't understand Merrick Garden. I don't understand the Justice Department. I don't understand what they're waiting for. And by the way, you know, this whole story about, well, it's too close to election. Wait a minute. You know, like when I when when Sam and I got arrested, they didn't care what the election was. They, they Nobody cares when you lock somebody up for weed. They don't like say, oh, wait, we're going to wait a minute. If you commit a crime, you commit a crime. The election should have nothing to do with it. You are a criminal. I don't understand. See, this is the very core of what we're talking about here because it supports the no harm, no foul idea. You see what I'm saying? See, the message right now for a justice system, and I can't count Georgia in there because, you know, like Attorney General Georgia, she's like in a whole different place. And my Attorney General here in Washington, I'm just saying, these people, right? But it says no harm, no foul. As usual, the people at the bottom of the ladder will pay the consequences. And, you know, let's talk about this for a minute, because, you know, part of what we're looking at is the traumatization of a society. And, you know, I can't remember who asked me about this the other day. But, you know, when I was a teenager walking through Central Park with myself and I don't know, it had to be three, four, maybe five of my friends. And we're walking through Central Park. Of course, you know, you know better than to be walking there when the sun starts to go down. I mean, you know these things, but you're a teenager. Hello. And out of the bushes comes a man. And he races towards us. Close to 12 inches away from me. with a very long knife and my friend steps in front of me. I lived, he died. And when you experience that, you better decide to stand for something. And you know, it has you think about it. And I thought about that for my entire life. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought about the fact that that was an act of courage I will never be able to match. But I will try like hell for the rest of my life. See, and I think that's what you and I are asking for here. You, by doing what you're doing in the schools. You know, me, by not just doing a show like this, but, you know, our game plan is in September for what we're launching our crowdfunding and to launch a channel that will allow for conversations like this. But in the end... We have to learn how to heal. We have to understand that there is trauma simply from watching a hearing, hearing it, and then watching the trauma of inaction and injustice. And I want to take a break and talk to you about that because 
you and I know how to bring this to the forefront. We know how to talk about it. We know how to help others see it. But the question is, what does it take to really look at the trauma? What does it take to really heal? You know, what does it take for somebody to get mugged and attacked? And how do you heal from that? You know, what does it take to live a life where you're afraid to go out in the streets? Because people are, people are afraid to go to vote right now. And will they be less afraid if the Justice Department doesn't or does or doesn't act? Or will they be willing to say, I do have somebody on my side? Um, can, you, can we take a moment before we go to break and let folks know, one, about you, how they can find out more about you, about your show. Give them as much information as you'd like. Yeah, no problem. So my show is called Us with Dr. Krista Lee Crane, Critical Conversations about the Challenges of Our Time with um, TTR. And um, we are finishing our first season. Um, I am the founder and principal consultant for prevention at the intersections. And I am a professor in the Department of Political Science at California State University, East Bay. And, and much more. She's much more than that. You're going to hear about this when we come back because, you know, there are conversations that that we have and then there are conversations that we have. And we want to invite all of you to have this conversation, if not with other people, but with yourself. When we come back, what types of work is 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 being done here in this area? What what is Dr. Crane's organization doing around trauma and healing justice and healing justice? Why do we need to heal justice? Because it's wounded. It's wounded. You feel it every day of our lives. It's wounded. You see it happening. You see things that you couldn't believe. Two weeks ago, we got on videotape, a man backing into a parking space right out here in our offices, backing into the parking space next to one of the staff's cars, back in as if he was just backing into a space that didn't have a space walk to the front of his car, then walk to the side, smash in the window and literally steal something out of the car. I'm going to tell you something that is bold. Why would people think they can do that? He didn't know there was a camera. So hopefully we get in the camera. But you see, this is what I'm talking about. There's a boldness right now for violence. We need a boldness right now for justice. Let's take a short break, everybody. We'll be right back. Does your life often feel like an emotional tsunami where rogue waves crash down on you, leaving you feeling hopeless and wondering if it will ever end? Do you wish to awaken the dormant strength inside of you? Imagine what it would be like to turn your pain into purpose. Start today by scheduling a complimentary consultation with Martinet. Dive into your healing journey and begin to see your life in a new light. Visit MartineEmmons.com and make your appointment today. Are both your life and mission passing you by? Are you wanting to step into the bigger reason why you're here? I'm Claudia Sam, your Soul Connection coach and host of the Be Happy Now show. It's possible to feel good to be you and to never burn out again. Hop on a free 20-minute clarity call with me to explore what life could be like if you could just say yes to yourself without the guilt Go to ClaudiaSamSoulCoaching.com forward slash yes. Do you question what an authentic life really looks like? Tune in to The Alley Effect with Allison Blythe, authentically living life your way. Every first and third Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com, where Allison Blythe brings you tools, resources, and actionable steps toward your very best life. Take responsibility for your own happiness. 
For more about Allison, visit Allison, A-L-L-Y-S-O-N, Blythe, B-L-Y-T-H-E dot com. Tune in to Spacious Unknowing Network, communing with your soul, with Julio Rose and Jojo Rose, every Monday at 7 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Let your heart beat in the rhythm of your soul and guide you to new horizons and unlimited, infinite love. Join the new earth on the Cornelia Stephanie show. Tune in each month as Cornelia takes listeners on an odyssey of higher consciousness to inspire, educate, and empower. Cornelia Stephanie is a spiritual teacher, passionate speaker, published author, and founder of the Empower Network. Cornelia guides people on the path of self-healing, peace, and liberation. For more information, go to CorneliaStephanie.com. Welcome back, everybody. Um, You know what? This is just a little bit of the idea of what happens when you listen to Dr. Krista Lee Crane's show. Uh, but it's more than a show. I mean, it for how it, it takes a lot to have a conversation like the one we're having now for a lot of people. It it doesn't take necessarily a lot for she and I, but we're very aware and mindful that when we have conversations like this. And by the way, I'm just saying to you all, let me just make an announcement now. Mike Murphy has asked me to do a show with him. <laughs> Because he wants a different opinion. So that's going to be one of these shows that you're going to want to tune into whenever we get around to having it. And I thought about, do I really want to have that show? I had to look at myself and say, do I really want to have a show where I'm really out there talking about what I believe? Now, for some of us, we can't not not do it. But how we do it, and, and Dr. Dr. Crane, that's what you talked about. You're getting ready to go and be in front of students right now. And you're right about it. I mean, I declined an academic job because I was never going to be able to teach people about broken promises, my research area, the way they wanted me to, because I did want to start at the political level. And I did want to start, I studied it for 10 years, and I was not going to be allowed to do that in a very conservative school. Uh, conservative in terms of their progress and really talking truth. Mm-hmm. But here we are. And I want to ask you about this. That experience was very painful for me to even repeat. And I can't tell you how many decades ago that was. It's a vivid thing, but it is an experience that changed my life. It moved me in a direction to look at what I really believed in and what I stood for. It had me realize a form of courage I hadn't seen or understood in my life or even recognized. But when we're talking about trauma and healing, we have to talk about it because I don't know about you, but there are millions of people watching the hearings, engaged in Roe v. Wade, and they have been traumatized by what they're seeing and how powerless they feel about injustice. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm preparing for my students. And, and as I say, in my consulting work, like I'm about to go into training season as well. And so a big piece of that when I'm training practitioners is really kind of paring down and looking at how are we 
how am I able to support them self-actualizing their values to help them heal while doing what, you know, the, the, the particular mission that they're on. A big piece of the trauma that I think that we're experiencing collectively is the, the broken and denial of our social contract. Um, the social contract is something that is, you know, old political philosophy theory, but, but it's really about, I think, how we're socialized to, to believe who we are as individuals and how we're supposed to relate to one another. So if the president of the United States is talking about grabbing women's genitalia um, as sport, if the president of the United States is promoting white supremacy, if every day we're seeing one to three mass shootings across the country, if you know we don't have electricity, we don't get support from you know the natural disaster that's happening in our area, the brazenness, the 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 harshness that you you spoke about, you know, with, with folks just coming up, backing their car in and stealing something, not even caring who's watching, right? We're looking at a long line of, of broken, like you were saying, promises, but really but the broken social contract that starts with how society is quote unquote managed, but how we relate to one another, that is broken. I live in a place that is predominantly white, um, it's a vacation town, but I live here full time <laughs> and I don't walk in my neighborhood because I'm the only person of color that lives in my neighborhood and it's a pretty sizable subdivision, but I don't want any problems. And in this area, they've already called the cops on me once, um, for, oh, for totally. Like, you know, for, for speeding in front of my mom's house while I'm parking in her driveway, you know, stuff like that. Like, so I, there's just things, there's certain ways in which, depending on where you're living, that, that, that you live, right? Um, if I was living back in Oakland, you know, I would walk probably anywhere. Um, or in my hometown of Flint, you know, like, it just depends. I'm comfortable, of course, in most cities, but I don't live in a city anymore. <laughs> um, and I do love to visit them because then I feel a little bit more comfortable, you know, I don't stick out as much. Um, and then I can kind of walk a little bit more anonymously. I'm telling you, it's really, I, I mean, this is really a conversation that this has been in the workings for a really long time. This has been in the workings for a really long time. Um, everybody I know that are white people, when Barack Obama got elected, they thought they had moved in a direction like they, 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 it's like I, we have achieved something here. Like, and these are these are like my white friends. We've achieved something. I said, okay, I don't think so. I think what's happened is you've let the genie out of the bottle. I say, I and I said to them, you're you're going to see what happens. I said, I really acknowledge the fact that this man was elected president. Hello, yeah, but watch what happens to him. Any time that he wants to do something, they're going to hold him tight. Look what they did about not even letting him, uh, you know, appoint a supreme. And I said. What it does is it's going to gain rise to what we already know in the back streets. See, there are things that happen in the back alleys that don't happen anywhere else. And we all know about it. If we've been there, we've lived there. But this is really the time that we are talking and speaking out. I know you are. I know my Power Up show uh, will come back in the fall. I know that will be that. Because honestly, when I looked at myself, I talked to one of my coaches, Dr. Crane, and I said, I don't. I don't think I'm doing enough now. And my coach looked at me and said, 
aren't you planning to launch an entire channel on this? I said, yeah, but you know, we got to do our crowdfunding first. She says, she says, oh, okay. Don't you have other people you've brought to your network? Do you really speak out? I said, yeah. I said, but there's some, I'm not just not doing. So what I'm having is a reflection. I'm having an introspective moment with myself. I would love everybody to have an introspective moment. Now, this is not judgment. There will be the action I'll take as a result of that. But hope is what's got to come in the conversation now. But it's got to be hope in action for me. I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, I, I was talking with my therapist. Um, I love my therapist. <laughs> Dr. Solomon, love you. Um, but so we were talking and she was like, how are you doing? And this was right after um, June 24th when, you know, the decision came down. I was like, you know, I'm actually okay. Um, I'm, I'm heartbroken. I'm disgusted. I'm grossed out that I'm from here sometimes, you know, but I'm also okay because I can rest in my heart and in my deeds. Mm. I at least know that I'm, I'm spending, if not 100% of my time, at least 90% of my time <laughs> moving us closer to justice every single day. I know not everybody can do that. But every day you can do something, even if it's just loving yourself. Because what it is, is about our need to create less harm in the world as individuals and collectively. What it is about, is about taking responsibility for, for when harm is caused and remediating that harm. It's about, you know, taking seriously when someone says it, there's their, their own personal experiences, letting their story be their truth, right? Um, I think it's really important for folks to think about the trauma you know, when they're, they're looking at, oh, how can politics be, be traumatic? Because politics is personal. And, and it's personal because it's about how we manage our lives. Everything from yeah. the that we're using to talk over Zoom is government regulated. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that we buy. I mean, come on, that's simple to everything. So yeah. politics is personal. <laughs> it is. And, you know, I, I have to tell you, I love this because I, I um, I'm just going to cut to the chase. A friend of mine heard me talk about the discovery. I, I honestly, I discovered it a number of years ago when my uncle was alive, but I just started to talk about it recently because I cannot not talk about it. I'm getting emails from relatives in South America. I have been both on my mom's side and my dad's side, but I didn't know about my mom's side. I, you know, the, it's a secret. We never knew where grandpa came from. None of us. We never talked. And, you know, I think when I look back at this, it's like, okay, why didn't we ever know about this? Why didn't the family ever talk about this? You never knew this. You never knew pop-up had a brother. But, you know, the internet now, you're like, your people from Brazil are like, they're emailing you like, in Portuguese, are you part of my family? My friend of mine is a genealogy person, wanted to do a whole thing. I said, don't do it. I know my dad's side of the family. She said, let me do your mom's side. I said, my mom, why do you want to do my mom? I know where my mom's from. No, I didn't. She discovers my grandfather who changed the na his name. The last, vowel, the last letter on the name was like an ES, changed it to an A. He was born in Brazil. He was a farmer in Brazil. So I shared this story and my friend heard me and she sent me a t-shirt. She had it made up with an old school Carmen Miranda from way back in 1944. Everybody knew Carmen, right? She, you know, typical the way she was portrayed, you know, the fruit basket on her head, the whole thing, flamingo, made a t-shirt and it says, 
I am newly Latina. You should have seen, I went out with this t-shirt and I was in a public place with a number of people. I couldn't believe the reaction of people. I mean, I had one person say something like, do you have to wear it on your shoulder? Like that, like, right. do you? And another person say, you don't look like you're that. You don't look like you're Latina. You don't. And I'm like, oh my gosh, from a t-shirt. What if I actually had darker skin? See, this is what we're, this is the world we're in where it once upon a time, Dr. Crane, you got to talk to this because this is something you got to talk to your students about. Once upon a time, it was in the room. See, once upon a time, you could be at meetings with your boss and it was in a room. How did, how do you know it? Your boss would tell a dirty joke, right? You'd know it. Or you're in the room and you're like, there'd be a gay joke or something. But now we don't know what to do with it in our face, do we? I didn't know what to do with it. I was shocked, actually. I need to I, learn what to do with it. I, I'm sorry to say that I do know what to do with it. Then you I, can coach me. <laughs> I've had, I'll be 39 in a couple of weeks. So yeah. uh, 39 years of practice of, of figuring it out. Um, I can just speak of just a, a recent experience um, when, you know, like I had my braids in and I was out at this restaurant sitting by myself, having a beer, waiting for my dinner. And this man came up and touched me and pulled my hair. Totally? Like, did you know him? No. Oh. Wanted to see if it was real. And wow. this, this was just like in the past 12 months. Um, I don't go to the place anymore. But these are the kind of things where, you know, for people of color, our personal space is, is not real to some people. Like, that's not a, that's not a, a, a even an over-exaggeration. Like, especially for women, it's, it's, you know, assume that you can touch us, um, whether it's our hair, our bodies, what have you. And I think because I look young, um, younger than I am, um, doesn't mean me, me too. right. You're gorgeous. <laughs> you are too. <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's layers to it, right. Um, the ageism, the sexism, the racism, um, and the homophobia are all the things kind of wrapped into one, really looking at, you know, the, the dismantling of my humanity, or at least the attempt to, um, because I'm still standing um, and and will continue to. And I think for me, if I hadn't, hadn't done the healing work that I've done through all the things that I've been through, domestic violence, the hate crime that I, I survived, all of the things, if I hadn't done the healing, I would not still be able to do this work. And, the, and this work is what I live for. Yeah. I, I have... I, I like to use the, the word like unwavering commitment because that's, I feel like the best way to describe how I feel. Yeah, I have to tell you, um, I don't know what to do with it. Now, I've been openly open about my sexuality, my sexual identity, I've been open about that and I've known what to do about that at times. I have been open about so many things about my life, my mom's suicide you know, our own bout in our family, you know, with recovery and addiction. This is my 32nd year. I've been open about that. I know how to take feedback about that. I know how to take backlash about it all. I get backlash from my own community that I shouldn't talk about alcoholism recovery. I'm saying like, okay, seriously, how are we going to help anybody? We're not talking about it. I said, Bill Wilson never meant for us not to talk about it. Come on, people. Uh, I follow a, a different model of that. 
um, from back then, a woman that stepped away, you know, Marty Mann stepped away and said, you know, Bill, you don't want to talk about it. I'm going to talk about it. And she starts an organization. But this thing with the comments, are you going to get the fruit hat? And, you know, then I'm reminded today by Lydia. So I come in today, Lydia, right? One of our producers. So she hears one of the shows. She knows I do crust busting, but she also knows that I talk about aliens. Like I also say, I say something like, oh my gosh, I think I had an alien take over my body because I wore this Latina shirt, right? So she brings in, <laughs> so I love this about our, our people. So she brings this in, right? So Because this is what summed up my day in prepar preparing for this right now, right? It, it, she brings this crust buster pen and notepad and it's like this alien right this little alien pen with this guy with it busting out of his chest and i thought about this today because i think people are carrying that pressure she didn't know i was going to talk but when i saw this and i'm and i know i'm going to talk to you i feel the pressure in here right now of course, the alien comes out and the person dies, but the alien lives. So here's what I want to talk about. As you think about your show and the students and what you're going to do. And by the way, one of the guys in my class, I went to school in California too. One of the guys in my class said something in front of Dr. Cherry Granrose, my friend, my advisor. She was my greatest champion. But he said something in front of her about people that picked strawberries and he said something like they really are taking our jobs mm. i will never forget what this woman did i don't know how she did it but she arranged a field trip we all went to a strawberry farm and we had to pick strawberries for a day and we had to pay for every strawberry we ruined and when we were done we spent a week talking about that experience. This guy never opened his mouth again. The average age of a strawberry picker is 49. And at the end of the class, he said, I don't know a single white person that would ever, ever, ever one want to do it or be able to do it. Do we have to have more experiences like that, Dr. Crane? I mean, I think I think that's like a, a tough love kind of, you know, walk in at someone else's shoes experience, which I think is helpful. But not everyone can do that. And not everyone is going to college, right? So this is the other piece. It's like, I also, oh, yeah. I come from a family, the majority of people in my family didn't go to college. Like that's, you know, so. I'm the first one. They're, you know, like my, in my immediate family, it's mixed, but then like my cousins, you know, it's, it's very mixed. Most didn't, you know, I come from a GM family, grand, grandparents, aunts and uncles work the line, like, you know, military going to college well, what are you going to do with that kind of thing, right? Like, what are you going to do with learning stuff? <laughs> and so, you know, I I have uh, experience and in, in, in kind of just live my life around folks that don't necessarily have the same language that I can use in spaces like this maybe, but are, are like, well, that's messed up that, you know, he didn't go for that. And our cousin over here got way more time and he didn't even do half as much. That's how they, right? That's what makes sense. You know, but talking, of, you know, calling institutional disparity. Well, th that's just another way to say what they just said. Right. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. but that's It does. And, you know, what it leads to is is where you and I go from here, because that's what I want to talk with you about now. 
Um, every time I think about you and I think about, you know, and I look, what is she going to talk about next? I'm, I, I'm just, I'm right there with you. I mean, it doesn't, I, I don't miss a beat on it. And there are some shows I have to go back and watch again because it clearly has me look at myself. And I want to talk about your shows and, and what you're planning as you move forward because we're changed now. See, I'm not, okay, so maybe some of the decisions, some of the politics, some of the events that happen, maybe I'm not that out there with this. But I'm, but I'm different today, and I believe you are too. How does that shape and sculpt, you know, what you're about to do, how you're about to move forward with your show? Yeah, so I'm so excited that I joined the team and that I'm working with you all. And um, like I said before, we're almost done with the first season and I'm planning what the second season is going to look like for the fall. And, you know, this last season, we, we focused on international solidarity with the Philippines. We did two episodes on that. But we also did episodes on the impact of the insurrection, looking at health as a human right, and, and truly trying to look at the intersections between systemic oppression and mental health. I think next time, um, you know, what I want to do for each season is have some, some part of international solidarity as a part of it. And so next season, we'll be focusing in a different region or country that'll be also a part of it. Uh, I may not be going there like I did last time, but uh, that was just kind of happenstance. Um, but I know that we definitely want to tap into larger conversations around school safety. I want to talk about guns. Um, being from Flint, Michigan, which used to be, in, you know, it's always in the top 10 most oh. in the country. Um, I want to do some more um, like kind of on the ground work with folks who are on the front lines. And so that's what we can look forward to for season two. You know, it's so interesting. You and I both have that energy, right? I said that I want to do more, more remote on the ground things again. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what my team says, um, but mostly Jessica and Linda are like, yeah, we're not surprised about that, uh, you know, but what I love about what you just said is that everything you just talked about is one, it's inclusive, and number two, it is about hope, but it's also about taking an action, and what I like to say to people, and I like to hear your, your message for people, is if I had a question for Merrick Garland, what would that question be? And the question would be, Mr. Garland, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? And whatever you're afraid of, please listen to this show because somewhere you've been traumatized. Maybe it was a Supreme Court justice thing, but somewhere you need to heal. But what are you afraid of? What is stopping you? You see, isn't that an interesting question? Because underneath inaction, I believe for myself has been some level of fear. But look at us. We've been mugged. We've been beaten. We've had friends die. And we just will not shut up, will we? <laughs> no, we won't. And, and, you know, bless my mother for, uh, I always tell her she didn't know she was going to have a daughter like this. Um, <laughs> Philippines was my 24th country. And I think about, you know, the past 20 years of my travel. And she's always like, oh, geez, where's she going to go next? Um, she's like, please don't let the country be in a war zone. And I was like, well, Aren't you glad I'm not a print journalist? <laughs> I want a different route. <laughs> I, I want to know, you know, what he's afraid of, but I also want to know what he needs from other people to make it happen. Yeah. So that's the thing for me is like, once I was able to, and what I remind myself to do, you know, when I'm thinking about how much these things hurt, think about gratitude and shift my perspective. And so, yes, think about the fear, but then like the perspective thing, okay, what do I need to get what I want? Yeah. What, do I, what do I need or what kind of help or support do I need to get to that next level or have the most just outcome? 
and he's an island right now, even though he's not, it probably is what it feels like. Yeah. I love that you brought that up because it makes me think about Washington, D.C. And for the life of me, I don't know why D.C. is not a state, but I also don't know why the District of Columbia doesn't have the right to do some things as well. And I'm not smart enough to understand the structure of the District of Columbia in Washington, but I don't understand it. I mean, this happened in their turf. And I, so I don't understand, because if it would have happened in Washington state, I know what the attorney general here could do, but there are people taking action and it's bold action. I'm watching the subpoenas that the attorney general of Georgia just issued. I, I'm watching other people take action. One of my heroes, and every time I say this, I get like an email. I have been watching Greta for a decade. Her family's lives their lives have been threatened. Her life has been threatened to shut her up. I don't think she knows how not to speak out. What's your message for everybody here today? What was the message be that you would like to leave us with? Be your own Greta. Be your own Dr. Pat. Be your own Dr. Crystal Lee. I mean, you don't need to, again, you don't need to do what Greta's doing. You don't even need to do what we're doing, Right. But, I, you know, I have a lot of friends who are like, oh, I can't do what you do, but I want to do something. That's the start. But then the, the despair comes in, right? And they're like, oh, well, I don't know what to do. Yes, you do. You know how to figure out how to pay bills, don't you? <laughs> you sure know how to figure out how to get the clothes that you want. Same thing. Troubleshoot. Let's go. I love <laughs> it. And if you don't know, get a hold of us. They can get a hold of you. If people want to know what is the first step, they can get a hold of you. They can call into your show because there is always a first step. Always. Inaction is a first step. <laughs> so is action. Dr. Crystal Lee Clayton, again, take a moment. Please give out this information and tell people when your show is. Yes, um, it is a second and fourth Wednesday of every month, us with Dr. Crystal Lee Crane. And um, you can learn more about me at crystalliecrane.org. That's C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-L-E-E-C-R-A-I-N.org um, or at preventionagenda.org. Thank you so much for everything. I'm so excited about what you're doing in the world. I just love being able to even have this conversation. It is quite an honor for me. Thank you so much, Dr. Crane. Um, I want to thank everybody for tuning us in and turning us on. And I just got a text message and I just need to address it. Almost every time I've marched, I've marched with men and women. And I want to give a shout out to the men because sometimes it sounds like we do not talk about them and what they have done. I will tell you that's not my story. That is not my case. I have been out in the world, carrying posters, carrying signs, been in back alleys. And I will tell you that there's nothing more powerful when we forget whether we are a gender or who we are or what the label is. And we just come together for what we believe in. 